0: All right. Welcome back to another episode of the uh, sci-fi and wow, you're going to laugh at me. Doc's going to love this. But hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. Time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies a place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. So without further ado, I do apologize for the the mixed-up introduction, dear listeners. Uh, We were just talking before the show about the old podcast, and I went out of habit. This is what happens when we do the reading Live, but that's part of what you're paying the big bucks and subscribing for. So without further ado, we're going to introduce you to our guest today, the legendary Mr. Nathan B. Dodge. How are you doing today, sir? I am doing fine. So could you introduce yourself to our audience? Well, I
1: am a guy who got to uh, writing late. I uh, spent 30 years as an engineer and engineering manager uh, in industry. I, I have a, a PhD in electrical and computer engineering. And then I, I spent another 20 years on the faculty at the University of Texas at Dallas. That's where I started writing. And uh, I've been writing the last few years and been fortunate enough so far to uh, Published 10 novels. That's a heck of a
0: jump. So, Yeah, it the, uh, really is. Did you, have you always been a reader, though? Uh,
1: I have been a reader since uh, the uh, seventh grade in the school library when I was 12 years old. I was looking for something to read. I was a voracious reader. And there on the shelf was a green-bound, cloth-bound book called Rocket Ship Galileo by some guy named Heinlein. And I pulled it off and said, this sounds interesting. Took it home and read it. And since then, I've read everything that Robert Heinlein ever wrote, plus a bunch of other guys. And I became a dyed-in-the-wool science fiction reader. Not so much fantasy. I do read a little fantasy, but I've always loved S.F.
0: Is that your uh, first introduction to sci-fi? Was when you, uh, that that experience?
1: Yes, absolutely. I'd never read any science fiction, and I got through with it. And I thought, boy, this is really great. I got to see what this guy has written. And it turns out, of course, if you know Heinlein, he wrote a lot of juvenile or young adult science fiction. And I'm telling you, by the time I was fifteen or sixteen, I read every one of them.
0: Nice. So the next part of the introduction, dear listener, is how we found him. So I actually discovered Nathan uh, when we were in a currently running story bundle with Mill Sci-Fi. And um, when I saw that and we started arranging the interviews, I looked at it and it's, it's a pretty interesting book. And he's got his entire uh, first three in the out of five in the bundle. So we'll talk about that that bundle at the end of the interview. But I'm glad we found him because he's got a lot to say. And, uh Apparently, writing runs in the family because when I was doing the prep work for this, I saw that your daughter is an author as well.
1: Uh, That's correct. As a matter of fact, fact, when I talk about my daughter Sharon, this is my youngest daughter, I usually say she's the talent in the family. Uh, I told you something incorrectly a little while ago when we were just talking off camera, so to speak. I said I'd never published anything independently or self published anything. My daughter Sharon and I uh actually published a short story anthology called for the stars uh, and and uh, frankly if you read that thing and you read my stories and you read her stories you'll see who the really talented writer is
0: <laughs> all right and so now before we get started we have to ask you the religion question sir so star wars star trek or firefly
1: uh, i can answer with a very emphatic yes
0: Okay, (laughs) so you're polytheistic. I get it.
1: I'm polytheistic. I love Star Wars, but Captain Kirk will always be my hero. And I must admit that I have a secret place in my heart for Mal in Firefly.
0: As do we all. So if it wasn't the three that we listed, which we jokingly call the Trinity of sci fi, what would you pick as the most iconic science fiction property out there?
1: well i think it's really close between star wars and star trek star wars has made more money i guess but if you look at all the spinoffs of star trek and all the characters and so forth that have come through there and all the continuing stuff i guess we now we have a we have a uh uh star trek series that's uh streaming on cbs right and so uh I think it's very close, but if I had to guess, I'd probably say Star Wars.
0: Okay. And now, I know you're not much of a fantasy reader, but because we're polytheistic and we like the fantasy side too, Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, or Harry Potter?
1: Uh, Huge fan of Lord of the Rings. I probably, I don't like uh, fantasy that much, but I've probably read Lord of the Rings 10 times. I'm a gigantic fan of Brandon Sanderson's Uh, uh, the Wheel of Time series, and I love Dave Farland's uh uh, fantasy series, The Rune Lords. Uh, But that's about it.
0: (laughs) That's that's so. Have you read Have you read the Samarillion by uh, Tolkien?
1: Yes, I did, and uh, it was okay, but doesn't to to me doesn't compare with the uh, Lord of the Rings
0: or the Hobbit. Yeah, I I I agree with you. So.
1: And i've also read some of the others with like numenor the stories and numenor and all that but uh to me lord of the rings says it all okay and i i must admit when my daughter the writer daughter was a teenager a, a young teenager 12 13. dad you've got to read these books with me so we can talk about them. well what's that honey uh, they're called harry potter books i think there were three of them by then i said okay so i did read all the harry potter books and i must say I think JK Rowling's a, a pretty nice writer. Yeah.
0: So you mentioned that you read um Brandon Sanderson's Wheel of Time. So Brandon Sanderson actually wrote the last novel in the Wheel of Time. Robert Jordan wrote the the he, first. He wrote, Did you mean he wrote the
1: last he wrote the last three of the Wheel of Time. You're absolutely right. and, and uh but but I, I meant Jordan too. I, I love Jordan and okay. then I love the way that Brandon finished it up, and I've told him so as a matter of fact.
0: Did you uh did you read his other stuff, the Mistborn series?
1: Uh yes, I've read Mistborn, I've read uh, just about everything. Now the the uh what's that new series he put out? Uh, it's it's still going on right now. Uh the something like Stormlight series. Stormlight, Star- yeah. I've read the first one and the second one, but I haven't gotten any further. I intend to go back and read them. They're just so darn long. They take a lot of investment, you
0: know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they do. And I mean, when it's a full work week to listen to one audiobook, you know. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> can I, can, I, so. can I interrupt with a funny story? Sure. I, when I, I, I uh, persuade, I don't know how I did this, but I met Dave Farland and I persuaded him to edit some books for me because I was such a weenie and so new to the everything. And I sent him that first book I ever wrote and it was called The Long Winter and it was 440,000 words, okay? So he, the first thing he did was he wrote me back, and he said, you don't understand. Only Brandon Sanderson can write books over 300,000 words. <laughs> and so I, I, I've learned that, and I don't write long books, write long
0: novels. So that's the running joke in the indie community when you talk about book length. Oh, your book's one hundred and twenty thousand words. Oh, that's a Brandon Sanderson, uh, Brandon Sanderson epilogue or, or prologue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you drop his book from a from a tall building, and you're going to kill somebody. Yeah, you will. You would. You might kill multiple people, as a matter of fact. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So, what is it that you love about science fiction as a genre? Well, I guess. Uh, I,
1: by the way, do you know, are you acquainted with Tony Daniel? I've heard of the name. Yeah. T- I, Tony Daniel is my perfect example of why science fiction is so uh, wonderful. I've read a number of his stories, and Tony absolutely will bend your mind every time you read one of his stories. His stories are so far out and so strange and so wonderful that, to me, that it just embodies all that's great about science fiction. just you just see what the world can be from a completely different point of view. And I think that uh, that's what makes science fiction so wonderful. It's also why I really consider star Wars more an adventure than science fiction. It's kind of a Western. We all know that. And, but, but the wonderful thing about science fiction is that it can come up with a completely different concept and, 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 and make it so wonderful. It just, it just, Envelops you in the story, and you're just, you know, belief is disbelief is suspended, and you just live the story. And to me, that's what makes FCF so wonderful and why I like it a, a lot better, really, than fantasy.
0: So, I he put out um with Golden Something Press back in 1999 because that was my senior year of high school. The Robots Twilight Companion, which was a short story collection yeah. that I actually had to read, so I am familiar with him. And then he's written with David Drake. Uh, I want to say it's the the heresy or the heretic, something like that. Right. Um, so, and if I get it wrong, you can comment in the uh, in the when we post it on the Facebook group, dear listener, and tell me what I got wrong. I don't mind. Well, I think but that's- so. But uh, he's 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 definitely knows how to spin a yarn. So, so how did your love of speculative fiction transition to writing stories in it? Because you made it a good run without writing. And then, you know, working in the university, you said you just started. So what made you make that change?
1: Well, I'll tell you, I have had a burning passion to be a writer my entire life since I read uh, Rocketship Galileo. And in my early teens, I wrote any number of multi-hundred page novels, okay? All terrible, absolutely terrible but I was writing and, uh, I, uh, I, I just really had a passion for it, but life kept getting in the way. I, my, my folks told me I needed to go to college and get a degree. So I'd earn a good living. And we had very mod- modest, circumstances. When I was a kid, I wouldn't call it low class, but we were clearly lower middle class. And so I decided I wanted to have a profession where I could earn some money. So I got a chance to go to uh, university on a scholarship, Uh, Actually, to Southern Methodist University on an engineering scholarship, got my engineering degree, went to work for Bell Helicopter. And I was actually in flight test, which in those days was at an old airport called uh, what was the name of that airport? Amon Carter Field. It's where DFW Airport is now. But at that time, it's Amon Carter Field. And our flight test was out there. And one day on the bulletin board, I saw a thing that said, get a National Science Foundation traineeship and get your master's degree. And I said, wow, that sounds good, and uh, applied, got it, quit Bell Helicopter, went to Austin, to the University of Texas, and got my Master's and PhD. Then I came back, and within a few years, I was at Texas Instruments. I had a really nice career. I still did a little writing on the side, but I I got to be a manager, and when you're a manager in an engineering company, you don't have much time, okay? and yeah. so. Uh, finally I retired, uh, in 1998 from TI. I was eligible to retire and TI had kind of really irritated me. They sold their computer business. I was mad about that. Because I'm a cute computer guy. And so I retired and joined the faculty of the university of Texas at Dallas and became a, an instructor. I wasn't a researcher, just became an instructor. I taught there for 22 years and, uh, it was only about the second half of my teaching, about, say about 27, 28, 2008, something like that. I really began to get the writing bud, started writing more. And by 2010 and 2011, I was writing a lot, but not good enough. And that's when I started to go to the to the, uh, uh, the seminars, the superstars writing seminars and that Kevin Anderson uh, conducts each uh, uh February in Colorado Springs. And that's really what made me into an author. I made the connections with great authors. I got connected with Dave Farland and Dave Farland uh, turned me into an author and anything I am today, uh, you know, I owe to Dave Farland, but it still took time. I wrote heavily and concentratedly from 2012 to 2017 and really didn't sell anything until February of 2018. That's when I sold the Shadow Warriors.
0: Well, we're glad you did because now you're here. So, uh, most many authors let their own real life experiences influence the stories they tell. So, are there any specific formidable moments for you that shape the kind of stories you tell?
1: Strangely enough, uh, not so much. Although the desire for family. Probably did now. I want you to understand. I had a wonderful mother and father, and they always treated me well. They encouraged me to get an education. They were—I I couldn't have had any better parents. But I had no brothers and sisters. I was an only child, and I always wanted a brother and sister. And as I got into Shadow Warriors, Shadow Warriors is really a story of five teenagers who have no relationship uh, to each other at all, who come together in dire circumstances and grow to be a family that they've never had. And in a way, these kids become the brothers and sisters to each other that I always wanted.
0: That's fair. OK, so uh, let's transition away from the writing side and talk about things from a fan angle. So have you ever been asked for an autograph while out in public?
1: Uh, never, except when I was a couple of times I've, I've since I began selling books i've been on at these uh, cons like the dallas fan expo comic-con like that and i have had people either have a book and want me to to autograph it or buy one and want me to autograph
0: it. okay that counts so have you ever spotted anyone out in public reading your books only
1: one time and i was with other people and i saw uh, it, and it was in restaurants matter of fact and i saw and i believe it was a woman reading uh one actually one of the shadow Warriors books which is kind of funny because this was an adult and shadow warriors is really young adult although i've had a number of my friends and fellow writers tell me that it reads very well as adult science fiction but that's what she was reading that's the only time
0: okay so have you had any funny or weird interactions with uh or or touching interactions with readers since you started not so much funny or weird, but I have had some real touching interactions in that.
1: I remember at Fan Expo in particular, I probably had—I don't know—half a dozen or more people come up to me and say, "I just love your work. The, these kids are inspiring. The story you tell, where they they come to love each other and they become good at what they're doing, they become uh, experts and all this. This is a this is a big deal to me. It's encouraging and all that. And thank you so much." And it meant a lot to me and it's meant a lot to my kids. And that was pretty special. It really was.
0: Okay. That's always uh, what, what we do it for. So, right, this is where you get to tell us about everything you've written. Can you give us the highlight reel of your, your body of, uh, of fiction?
1: Uh, okay, I'll, I'll have to try to go pretty fast. I, I wrote uh, these three books uh, that became the Portal series. And I couldn't sell them anywhere. And so uh, I started writing this young adult series, Shadow Warriors, finished it up, submitted it to one publisher who didn't buy it. And then I sent it to the acquisition editor of Wordfire Press, which is Kevin Anderson's publishing house, and said, What do you think of this? And I got an email back almost immediately from Kevin Anderson said, We want to buy this. And shortly they bought the other five books, in the uh, other four books in the series. So they're five in the series. And uh, later on, I sold them a standalone. Uh, science fiction novel called The Freedom Conspiracy, also a young adult. Uh, and a couple of years ago, I had uh, lunch one day at the at, at the Superstar Seminar with Eric Flint, who uh, is the owner of Ring of Fire Publishing. And so, uh, talked to him about my books, and uh, he agreed to read them, and since then, he's bought five for me, four of which have been published. So, Word Fire has brought six, and Ring of Fire has bought five, and so I am the only publisher in the Western Hemisphere who has two publishers that he writes for, both
0: of whom have fire in the title. Okay? <laughs> well, that's one way to stand out. Maybe you'll make that a thing. So all right. uh, those uh, all sound fascinating, but here, we're here today to talk about the Shadow Warriors. So where did the premise for this universe come from? how did you come up with the idea? Was it psychedelics, a Ouija board, overindulging in tainted Texas barbecue?
1: <sighs> it's odd, but sometimes Right, And this this is particularly weird because uh, this has happened more than once. But frequently, I'll get an idea right before I, I mean, when I'm in twilight, right as I'm falling asleep at night. And I had this idea, what if a bunch of kids that don't know each other are kidnapped and they all come from diverse backgrounds and they only have one thing in common? They all have terrible home lives. They basically have, you know, they're abused or they, you know. Terrible things are happening in their homes. And what if they're forced to train to fight the galactic war and to become a team, and they all hate each other, but if they don't become a team, their trainers tell them, we're just going to put you out there in a, in a fighter, and you're going to die, so you better train well. And from that came Shadow Warriors. And when I was getting near the end of it, uh, I probably had almost finished it, I thought, this isn't a novel. This is a series. And so I immediately finished the first one and wrote the second one. And then I wrote, started writing the third one. And I suddenly realized, wait a minute, this is book four. And what I just finished was book three. So I stopped. And I went back and wrote book two. Then I rewrote book three. And then I wrote books four and five. And that's how they came into existence.
0: All right, so before we dig in, like we always do, we're going to take a moment to check out that cover. So that uh, let's do it full screen so you can see it. So that has the vibe of the, some of the classic covers that you, you grew up, if you know anything about some of the iconic art from sci-fi. Right. This has that look to it. So how did the, this art come to be?
1: Uh, I, I, I've read a long time ago, and I've talked to a lot of authors that agree, that covers sell books. And so, uh, as I was going through the cover with Kevin Anderson, I said, I really want a special cover. And he said, well, we usually try to use some kind of a stock cover. We may modify it a little bit. But he said, you know, we we don't have a lot of money uh, for it because we're a small publishing house. And I said, I want a special cover for this book. If you'll let me pick the cover, uh, I'll pay for it. And he said, okay. And I I, I said uh do you know any good uh cover uh artists and he said well I, there's a few that i think work pretty well And he recommended several i picked this one young man he's he's arabian and he 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 lived in the united states he's now gone back and he lives in uh one of the arab emirates i don't know i can't remember which one but uh his name was Rashid al-aqruqra and He's just a brilliant author, and I told him exactly what I wanted, and he, he would send me uh, a, a a sketch, and I'd send it back and say, no, do this. And he'd send it back, and I'd say, no, do this. And he finally we finally agreed on this, and he sent it in, and I, I told him, I said, that is just beautiful. It's exactly what I wanted, and that became the cover. And I think of all the covers I've ever had, that's my favorite cover.
0: Okay. I was about to say something, and then I realized I was muted. Normally, this is where my co-host would make fun of me and call me a boomer. But all right. So can you give us the 30 second elevator pitch for this novel?
1: Uh, Five teenagers from diverse, terrible backgrounds are kidnapped and forced to train as the crew for a a galactic fighter. And and they have to help defend this uh, empire, which is under attack by a terrible, absolutely implacable enemy. They all hate each other and they don't even want to work together. And yet if they don't become a good crew, they're going to go out to fight and they're going to die. And so the problem is, can they become a cohesive crew and learn to fight both to save their lives and to save the uh, civilization that kidnapped them?
0: Okay, so what do you think makes the series overall? because this is you know Shadow Warriors the first book in a in a long series. What makes this series special? I think there's two things. Uh, first of all, I think the stories
1: themselves are very unique, and this enemy is absolutely implacable. And by the way, this is a terrible enemy that absolutely, never shows any quarter, destroys everything. And yet you never meet this enemy till the last book you never see them nobody knows who they are they just know that millions of these ships come in and destroy anything in, in their in their uh in their path and so i think there's two things one is these very interesting stories and and uh you'll never guess how they managed to defeat the enemy in book two and i'm sure not going to tell you but it, i guarantee you they'll That's the only time that's ever been done in science fiction. Okay. And uh, each of the books brings something unique in one of the books, one of the five gets, uh, gets uh, isolated and and, and, uh, on a ship that, that, and they're lost and nobody knows where they are and thinks they're dead. There's something that happens every time, but that's just one of the two things. The other thing is there's this huge sense of family. And at the end of the first book, and from then on, these guys are like the five closest siblings you would ever want to know. They love each other, they would die for each other, and they finally learned the meaning of family. And to me, that's the other big thing about the Shadow Warriors books is what it means uh, to have family.
0: Okay, family is important, so that's a good answer um so what um sci-fi or fantasy because sometimes we can borrow across the 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 wide field of speculative fiction but what tropes do you feel like shadow warriors hits the best
1: you know i am I'm, I'm not sure i clearly you could say that this is kind of like <clears throat> pulp uh sf right it's right. uh it, it's it's uh uh very star wars like in its uh sort of western setting if you will or where there's there's constantly battles for supremacy and all that uh to me this is uh, military and by the way this is the only military fiction I've ever written although I love military science fiction uh it's 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 unique in that it brings a much younger viewpoint to what it means to be in, in war. Now you could argue, I think that, uh, Ender's game is a good example of the same kind of thing, right? Because you, because I mean, that's an Ender, but I don't think ever you've seen it from the point of view of a family involved in conflict, where they give their lives for each other. And the thing is, they've been kidnapped. And yet by the second or third book, they're willing to fight for this uh, entity that's kidnapped them because they understand that this amazing, terrifying enemy that's coming toward them, which is referred to as the Horde, the Horde is coming toward Earth as well as this enemy. And they realize they're, they're fighting to save Earth and so uh, i think that you know there there's a couple of things there's the there's the young people's look at, at at uh war but there's also the idea that we have a chance to contribute as a family and maybe save our world and and uh so that may, that makes it maybe somewhat unique, uh, from uh, other kinds of military SF. I, God knows there's a lot of military SF out there and, uh, I don't read nearly as much as I, I don't have time to read much anymore simply because I'm so busy writing, but I love military SF and, uh, I, uh, I've only read uh, a little bit of the, uh, the, 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 books that are in the, in that humble bundle. But I, I I'll tell you, i I've, I've, I've already bought it, and I'm gonna, I'm going to uh, read them all if I have the time.
0: That's the ironic paradox of authorship. So you get into writing because you love reading, and then once you start writing because you're so busy trying to write, you don't have time to read anymore. Yeah, (laughs) actually, you have to sort of make time at that point. I I do a lot of audiobooks when I'm when I'm exercising, just because of that.
1: I uh, I uh, love Kevin Anderson's work, and and I love. I'd love to read Brandon Sanderson's Stormlight series, finish that up too. But uh, one of the problems is I have made so many friends that are authors and they'll come out with a new book. I think, oh, I want to buy that and read that. I probably have 200 books in backlog of friends that I've made in the writing business. And I just don't have time to read them
0: yeah so uh humble bundle is actually a game bundling site where it's uh it's called story bundle um but I, I, people get yeah. them mixed up all the time
1: yes okay right
0: you're right um so uh and then the other one that sometimes people will use is bundle rabbit but that they're not as good as story bundle because right. you know we're right. biased obviously uh-huh. so um, other than the military sf which you've talked about um do you feel like the young adult is is a good fit then because you mentioned some of your other work was ya for, for this series? Uh,
1: yeah, I, uh, well, the only other one I've written is that, is that the Freedom Conspiracy, which is a, a standalone, but the funny thing is, I, I'll tell you a secret, if you promise not to spread it around, okay?
0: Just you and me and our billions of listeners. Got right, a right.
1: Uh, I, uh I occasionally go back and read some of the Heinlein young adult books. Citizen of the Galaxy, uh, uh, now, and by the way, I want to remark that Heinlein is my favorite author. Now, Kevin Anderson's second, but Heinlein, I think he wrote the three greatest SF novels I've ever read. Have you ever read, uh, uh, the, uh, gotta think of the name. of it now down get it right.
0: Uh, so
1: I like, I can't remember it. I, got the
0: moon out. is a harsh mistress is a good one.
1: Is, that's uh, one of my three favorite. Uh, the door into summer, yeah, is one of my favorites, and uh, the other one is uh, well, it's about the guy that takes the place of the governor of the galaxy of the solar system. Uh,
0: double star, double star. Okay, and I like the um, Have Spaceship uh, Spaceship Will Travel series that, that he did.
1: That's one of the that's one of the one of the the uh, young adults that I love. The Star Beast. I don't know if you've ever read
0: that. I have uh, not. I'm I'm trying to get into it because I, I started reading his. So one of the authors is I'm, I'm pretty good friends with. J. Daniel Sawyer is a huge YA fan, and he felt like, you know, his dad was an academic who was always busy doing work. And so he was sort of left to raise himself. It's a, you know, that old his parents were, were late in hippies. And so he read a lot of YA and he felt like that helped him mature as a man. And so he's trying to bring that back. He's actually working right now. Because we've talked about it with him on a YA, like a looking at what makes a Heinlein juvenile for authors if they wanted to start bringing that back, and he started writing some of his own. So I'm kind of excited to see that to be able to pass that on for my kids. Because I, I started reading those as an adult already, and I still enjoyed them. I mean, one of the first things I read in um, as a uh, college student was the some of those. In fact, I write I use Space Cadets as a, a way to refer to my followers on my newsletter because of Heinlein.
1: Yeah, that's so, a good one. You're exactly right.
0: So I'd like to see more of that stuff come back.
1: I'll tell you, I don't think anybody wrote juvenile like Heinlein. And uh, I, think, uh, I think Heinlein's, uh, I guess I'd have to say rocket ship Galileo just is the epitome of of uh, his young adult. Story. Now, I'll admit that if you read it nowadays, it, since it was written in the
0: 40s, It's kind of dated, but still it's good. Okay. Well, we'll have to check that out and maybe do some reviews. So you mentioned YA and sort of the juvenile, but uh, this is obviously because it's in a military sci-fi bundle, Mil SF. So what is it about military sci-fi that appeals to you?
1: Uh, Well, first of all, I mean, let's face it. I'm a guy, right? And we guys just love shoot 'em ups And uh, that's you know it's just like the Star wars what's star wars In in Star Wars it's about wars right and they're constantly going on and all of those uh, books in that bundle are are uh, and i've I've read it too long ago to remember much about it but I read one of the five by five novels and uh you know to me that's just the essence I can get into one of those military books and if it's really a good action book and of course and I'm I'm proud to say I think you know the shadow wars is pretty high action also uh I can get into a, a military sf book and I can just read all the way through and never even get out of my chair practically and uh so I don't know I I guess I guess that's one of the things I don't I don't know a lot of women that love military sf but as a guy I just love it <clears throat>
0: OK, so so now on to the story itself. What can you tell us about your main cast of characters? What makes them unique in the crowded field of science fiction? Well, every every
1: one of these people is of these young folks is a unique character. And one of the neat things, I don't know if you've ever heard this or not, but I've heard authors say it and I know it's true of me. <laughs> sometimes your characters take you where you don't realize you're going to go. Yeah. Uh, these five unique young people have all very, very strong characters. Uh, Cal comes from a plain old middle-class family. His dad's an engineer, but unfortunately his mother died tragically. And his father is drinking himself today. Uh, Tony, is a street rat that leaves under a kid with his prostitute mother and wakes up one morning to find her dead of an overdose of drugs. Uh, uh, the uh, uh, I don't wanna give everything away here, but uh, uh, the uh, each one of these uh, characters has a, uh, a unique problem. One, one more, Ophelia. Uh, whom everyone learns to call Opie, is this real shy, retiring billionaires whose father died mysteriously and whose stepmother is basically just like Cinderella, uh, stepmother is taking away her fortune from Ophelia. And Ophelia is a complete wimp. She's a wuss. And yet it's going to be Ophelia that finds a way to win this war. And so each of these people contribute in their own way. Uh, uh, Cal, I started out thinking was going to be the leader. No, no, it's one of the others that'll be the leader. Uh, I thought that maybe Cal would come up with a strategy to win the war. No, it was Ophelia that did that. Tony uh, is uh, nothing but a street rat and has no education at all and yet he becomes the greatest navigator in the history of the, of the, uh, uh, the Shadow Warriors. And so every one of these kids uh, has a unique role and they're all strong. And I started thinking the two, two of the guys were gonna be the strong characters. And it turns out that as you get into the later books, it's the two women that are the, the strongest characters, although Cal is a very strong character but the women are equally strong. So I created some very strong female characters and I didn't even realize it until they told me about it.
0: Okay, so uh, you've told us about your main cast of characters. Um so what about any secondary characters? With with such a large um, central cast, did you have room for secondary characters in this? I, I have a few.
1: They they have a there's a guy that's been kidnapped some years ago and and his name, his name is Rajasakar, and everybody calls him Raj. He's Indian. And he is becomes their trainer. And he <clears throat> he is a true blue, you know, straight era guy, and they come to love him. And he he really trains them to become great. And later on, they will Raj and they will rise in the service together and, and become key characters. There's also a trainer who is one of the uh, people from this system, the, the, this system is called, the uh, solar system uh, civilization is called Molophon, and the Molethians are, th- are these. this race of people. Gallagher is a Molethian, and he is their trainer. And they're scared of him and hate him at first, but they come to love him because he's really a, a, a he's a very, uh, he's an empathic character. He wants them to do well. And he's the one that tells Opie early on when all the other four are just jumping all over because she's such a wimp. He says, "You have some interesting talents. I'll be watching closely to see where this takes you." And so he has he stimulates them and inspires them. And there are some others. Uh, the uh, commander of on their first ship, the 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 uh, commander of the of the uh, Carrier. They, they they have these big carriers that carry hundreds of these ships, and the, the carrier uh, commander uh, uh, becomes very very important to them. And as a matter of fact, uh, near the end, will all will develop a with the girl with a young woman uh, develops this virtually mother daughter relationship with them, and so and so yeah, there are maybe. Uh, there's some others too. That <clears throat> there are a few of the the uh, young people that they meet along the way. They become very uh, uh, very good friends, and one of them uh, even uh, uh, goes all the way through the books with them, basically. So yeah, there are some good minor characters that that are that are important.
0: Okay. So, does your stories? Um, what can you tell us about the bad guy that they're facing without giving away any spoilers?
1: Well. I can't give away much because the identity of these guys is crucial to book five uh, of the series, the last book. Uh, but I can tell you they are an implacable warrior, and the reason this these, by the way, this civilization is one of o- of only about forty civilizations that are referred to as the alliance, and the alliance is fighting these these uh, this uh, enemy, and they have estimated that this enemy. Uh, basically, there's a little tiny galaxy that's a, that's a satellite of the Milky Way. It's called the Dwarf Sagittarius Spheroidal Galaxy. I don't know if you've ever heard of it or not, but basically this race has uh, occupied every uh, inhabitable planet in this entire little galaxy, and they control the whole galaxy, and now they're coming to, for the Milky Way. And so it's estimated they have 10 trillion population, and they have uh, millions of fighters, uh, aircraft, and maybe tens of millions of, of, of people in their in their space force, and they're just implacable. And the way they do is, they come into a civilized planet, and they don't they don't do anything like you know negotiate or anything. They just come into the uh, against the planet with, uh, say, uh, frequently a million fighters, and they just destroy every bit of the civilization. Raise the entire surface of the planet, wait 20 years, and then go in and and build it the way they want it to be. So they are absolutely implacable and they, they don't negotiate. They don't take prisoners. They don't stop. And, 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 uh, you either defend yourself or you die.
0: Okay. Well, speaking of characters, um, you sound like you do some mean things to yours. So if they ever cornered you in a back alley, uh, and they knew who you were, you were Nathan B Dodge, the creator of the universe, you know, their sort of omnipresent deity if you would. How do you think they're going to react to you given what you've done to them?
1: Uh somewhere in book 1, they if, if they caught me in an alley, they probably beat the crap out of me, okay? But later on, I think the girls in particular would was looked at me as their daddy because I have made them special and I have seen their potential. And the guys would like me pretty well too, because they have all uh, uh, done very well in what they've done. And there's even a little romantic entanglement a little bit later on, not, not in the first book, but uh, so that's kind of interesting too. So these, I think these characters would be pleased with the way I've treated them. They, They would not be angry with,
0: okay so you mentioned that there are these groups of kids that were uh captured and sort of enslaved to fight for this cause um are there other groups of kids roaming around in this galactic wide sort of good versus evil battle
1: oh yeah there's as a matter of fact uh, when they're in training they meet tons of these other crews and 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 the, the crews are and and generally the crews they meet are uh they're pretty good kids, but they do meet some real, there's, there's one group of which is a bunch of bullies. <clears throat> and, uh, I'm happy to say that, uh, my crew, uh, uh, give them their comeuppance. Uh, and, 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 and it happens rather cleverly too. Uh, and in what particular later on in the book they, they put, they pit the crews against each other to see which is the best because the top crews are going to be the ones that first get to go into battle and they don't have to keep retraining. And so this group really wants to get out there and fight. And, uh, because they know that if they fight and do well, eventually they'll be, they'll let them go home. And of course they don't realize that as they couldn't fight, eventually they're not going to want to go home because they realize how terrifying this enemy is. But, uh, they have a competition against this one crew and this crew is just, well, they're a bunch of rotten people and they try to cheat and a bunch of things and they eventually get, uh, they come up. It's also, although it takes a while and, uh, it's, uh, it's that's at, that's at about the point in the book when Ophelia really begins to mature and, by the time they beat that particular team finally, and they become one of the top three teams, uh, Ophelia has discovered her talents. And from then on, there's no stopping Ophelia. She is, and she rises to the top of the heat very quickly.
0: So speaking of talents, do they get enhanced in any way? Um, do, you, do you tangle with the idea of transhumanism or just they're natural humans?
1: No, they're absolutely natural. This, the, there's no superpowers. The, the only superpower that they could have if if you will is that they are terrifically good at what they do cal is a natural leader so he becomes the captain ophelia is a natural strategist uh tony is is the greatest uh 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 navigator ever and and eventually will become uh <laughs> we got responsible for training all the navigators in the navy in the space name. And so each of them has a specialty. Okay.
0: So speaking of specialties, do these individuals that make up the team that you're writing about, do they end up taking specific archetypes uh, within the team or is it more fluid?
1: I, You know, it's hard for me. I don't, th- I think there's a certain amount of fluidity to these characters. Uh, for instance, opie starts out a wuss but she becomes a very strong character and in fact uh is very inspiring to some of the other characters cal starts out as a hell for leather leader and yet as he interacts with these other characters and becomes a little bit more knowledgeable about how the uh, the, the captain should act on a team he becomes a lot more uh flexible in the way he'll approach problems in other words. He starts out by saying, "Okay, by God, this is what we're going to do when we go out to fight," and later on he'll say, "Okay, Opie, uh, what do you think we ought to do?" You know, and and so I I think that that all these characters who have very strong uh, traits of their own become they mesh together well enough that they are willing to cede uh, to the various other characters. The certain rights in the debate because that's the, the particular trait that that particular character brings to the game. And so, uh, I think that, I think that, that yes, they each have strong traits, but one of the things they learn is to be a team and not a bunch of individuals that want to fight all the time.
0: Okay. So, when you write characters, do you have a favorite archetype? Not specifically this one, just in more general terms. I think
1: this doesn't show up in Shadow Warriors, but in some of my other work, I I do have a strong male type. And in particular, a couple, three of my novels (coughs) that are in the first person, this is a (coughs) strong, fairly ironic, cynical male who sort of realizes that you know, the universe is a dangerous and, and tricky place to live. And so he has a lot of, uh, he has a very humorous response to life, okay? And uh, he, uh, particularly uh, this book I just sold is in the, to uh, uh, Ring of Fire Press, the guy is named Scotty, and, and he is the protagonist, and he does tell his story in the first person. And uh, Scotty is a smart aleck and it really comes through. Okay. And that's probably the most common character I have. And and if you look at, he's not like that at first, but if you look at the care in my, in my portal series, the character, and this is adult science fiction, the portal series, uh, it, it, he's a strong character who becomes very, um, he, he becomes cynical and, 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 and develops a very wry sense of humor as he becomes a leader in this civilization because he realizes that if you don't have a wry sense of humor, and if you're not re- uh, willing to roll with the punches, you're not going to survive.
0: Okay. So this is the part where I'm going to ask you if you give give a sneak peek at how the sausage was made. So were there any cool scenes or ideas that had to get cut when you wrote uh, and rewrote this? Because I understand you talked about submitting it multiple times. So were there any cool stuff that got cut when you were writing it?
1: Um, No, not that five. You know, it's funny. If you'd ask me about my Portal's Trilogy, <laughs> if you want to talk about that, I'll tell you about how stuff got cut. But as a matter of fact, the reverse happened. And that was when I was writing book four, book three, and realized it was book four, and book uh, two was book three, and I needed to go back and write book two, so I did. And when my editors read it at Press, they agreed it was a perfect series of books. So in that case, virtually nothing got left on the cutting room floor, which has got to be a record, okay? But that's the only time that's ever happened to me.
0: Okay. So, uh, finally, can you tell, what can you tell us about the universe? In many series, the worlds where the story is told is as much a character as the protagonist or antagonist. So can you give us a hint about what kind of stuff we can expect from this expansive world you've created?
1: Well, this, this universe is very particular. I'll I'll say that. There are 40 civilizations that make up the Alliance, the largest of which is Molophon and Molophon is the entity that has kidnapped the kiddos. And, uh, the, uh this group of civilizations has learned how to defeat uh, the, the, the problems with faster-than-light travel. and They have developed a method called leaping. And basically what you do is you use a thing called a leap engine, which is powered by a thermonuclear fusion device. And basically you just uh, turn it on and you bore a hole from here to there and you're there so you just leap and now there's power limitations and there is uh there's fuel limitations and so it, it turns out that that uh, the enemy that's their the their this enemy the horde that's their achilles heel they can only leap up to 10.2 light years nobody knows why they can't leap more than that but they can leap up to 10.2 light years and that's the only thing that saved the, 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 the Alliance because they're so slow in crossing a galaxy. That's 10,000. Uh, that's hundred thousand light years across. They can only leap 10.2 light years. Then they have to rest and cool off their engines and, and leap again. On the other hand, the Alliance has fighters. It has uh, carriers that are enormous. They're like a meter, a uh, kilometer longer, or substantively a kilometer long. They can leap between galaxies, and their fighters are actually have powerful enough engines that th- they couldn't do it in one leap. But on one uh, tank of fuel, they can leap all the way across the galaxy and back. So they, that's that's one of the things they have. Also, their key defense. All these all these uh, civilizations have these beam weapons that is their major amount of defense except mollifan mollifan uses a projectile cannon actually a series of projectile cannons on their ships so their ships act actually shoot bullets and none of the other civilizations do this and that's one of the reasons they they fight so well against the horde is because the hordes uh, ships have shields and they shield very well against beam weapons but projectiles they don't shield very well against and so molathon's secret weapon is basically uh cannons just plain old-fashioned cannons that fire projectiles
0: okay so do you get into the the tech for those um cannons is it like magnetic accelerator is it oh uh, it's it's a a railgun
1: it's a no it's a projectile cannon using bullets using bullets with uh powder in them now they do have a modified uh the cannon is basically a uh, a uh, gatling cannon so it has a bunch of uh, a bunch of uh barrels and they rotate and fire and the reason for that is because it is a a mechanical cannon if you just had if you just had one uh uh Long uh, barrel, you heat it up very quickly. So you you have uh, six or eight of these rotating, and you're able to fire. But one of the problems they have is the, the shells they fire are big. I, I I compare them in the book to a 20 millimeter cannon shell, and uh, so th- these cannon shells are extremely accurate and very uh, deadly, but they don't have room for much ammunition, and so. You know, they have beam weapons as well, but when they're typically they only try to fight till their cannons run out of shells and then they go home and get more more shells because that's their that's their real secret weapon is these 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 cannons.
0: Okay, so Shadow Warriors is clearly part of a series we know because it says so on Amazon. So there are currently five books out in this series. But is their story done? Will it be more from these characters?
1: Actually, I'll tell you what, uh, these characters, their story is basically done, but I have just finished, and I'm actually in the proofreading now, of a second, uh, the first book of a second series and it's called Shadow Warriors, War of the Zorn. And the Zorn is another race that is alluded to in the first series, but you never see them. You just know that they were troublemakers, <clears throat> and uh, the, the Zorn are uh, uh, start to make trouble. And this series takes place about 20 years after the original series, maybe tw- 25 years, and it it does have another crew of five, but they're all new characters. And uh, while I was very proud of my characters. the the characters in uh in in the original saddle warriors are uh, there's a a white male a black female a hispanic male a uh and and a uh uh actually another white female and another male who is uh he's white but there's issues i won't go into here but uh it's, it's a good group of characters, but I'm proud of this new group because it's uh, one of the characters is actually a, a Malethian. And she's come to train on Earth for reasons that we go into in the book. And then the uh, of the other four, one of them is a transgender character. And this has been a difficult character to write, but I had a teaching assistant who was a transgender character. And I had some long discussions with this this teaching assistant who became quite, quite dear to me as a person. And uh, I wanted to have a transgender character in this book. So uh, I've worked hard on that and my daughter's helping me now to make sure, and I'm going to have a transgender reader a little later on, read this before I turn it in. But uh, frankly, I'm, I'm really excited about this group of characters and the, the captain is not going to be a white male anymore. He's actually, he's actually a, 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 person of color. And I think that that, uh, people are going to like him a lot. He turns out to be a real straight air, a neat guy.
0: Okay. So the, uh, we know that every literary universe has its own internal internally consistent rules of science and technology. So what sort of tech can we expect from these books besides the, uh, the large cannons in the leap engines? What, what other kind of tech do we have?
1: I, I think the, 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 uh, the shields that they have are limited and uh, the uh, <clears throat> beam weapons, particularly the beam weapons that come on the carriers can, can pierce these and they have to be careful. Uh, a beam weapon from an enemy cannot go through a, a, uh, a shadow warrior ship and, and hurt the ship, but th- their shields are too powerful, but th- there's so many of the enemy they'll gang up. And if five or six of them concentrate their, their beam weapon fire on a, shadow warrior ship they can kill it and so it turns out for every 10 or 15 of the enemy that the shadow warriors kill they lose one of their ships now that may sound like real great odds but there's millions of the enemy and there's only tens of thousands of the shadow warriors and so it's a it's very it's not a fair thing at all furthermore uh, the the leap engines are, are quite limited they can leap a long way but if if they leap too far, they can get too hot, and then you can't leap anywhere for a while. And uh, the 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 uh, the thermonuclear fusion plants uh, can overheat as well. And so they have to be, you know, although they have a great deal of power and their their leap capability is large, they're very they are somewhat limited by their technology in that they just <laughs> they don't have perfect uh, leap technology. They don't have perfect uh, beam weapon technology their shields are okay but but they can be pierced and and the uh the uh, they're outnumbered roughly somewhere between depending on what battle they're in uh well and, and, and just to give you an example in the first battle at the end of book one the the climactic battle they're outnumbered uh 32 Five to one, basically. There's there's about 3,000 Shadow Warriors and there's 100,000 of the enemy ships. And now, how are you going to win that battle? But Opie comes up with a way to do it. And of course, I'll let people read that and figure out how Opie does it. But it, it is unique.
0: All right. So of all the tech that you created for this, this universe, is there any one that you'd want to have for daily use?
1: Well, I guess the main thing would be the leap drive because we're at leap drive. You can, you can saddle up uh, uh, in orbit around the earth and you can, you can uh, go to the Andromeda galaxy if you're on one of those carriers, or even if you're, you're uh, uh, in, in a fighter, just a plane fighter, you can run down at the galactic center and see how things are going. So I think I'd like to have that leap drive. That leap drive is pretty special. And uh, really gives you a a lot better capability, and it's the only thing that's saving their buns because the enemy's elite drive is so limited that that uh, that gives them a real advantage.
0: Normally, we would ask how you would once you pick the technology, how you would abuse it, but yours was such a wholesome exploration answer that I don't know that that applies. So we'll just move on. Okay. Um, So does your you mentioned that your your universe has aliens in it? So how did you go about? Without giving away spoilers, obviously, um, how did you go about creating your aliens? Did you let nature inspire you, or did you make it up out of whole cloth? Well,
1: I'm going to have to give you kind of a mixed uh, answer here because it turns out in the the aliens in this new series, Shadow War series, are they're very alien, but it turns out in the Alliance, most, almost all of the uh, civilizations are humanoid like now there are a lot of them are very different and uh the molathons for example are very tall and slender and they're kind of gray skin kind of tannish gray skin uh one of the groups uh, is uh uh kind of green skinned and they have odd universal joint elbows and they're they're not real friendly okay but but they've all come together as as a group of civilizations because if they don't, they're going to die. And, uh, but, but they're basically humanoid.
0: All right. So clearly this interview is winding down, but before we wrap this up, is there anything about <laughs> shadow warriors that we didn't ask that you want to tell us before we move on?
1: Uh, let me think for just a moment, because I, I guess I would strongly recommend that if you like a, even though it, it's, it's, it's sold as young adult, if you like a story about people that bond with each other and become brothers and sisters, and have this uh, family relationship through this series of books and do a lot of amazing adventures, this is a kind of book for you because the thing about it is that this group of of young people become by the end of the book uh, top officers in this in this navy and and they they are they are changing this civilization for the better and and uh, I I think that you can go with these characters and grow with them and it can be a very very uh, satisfying experience.
0: So you mentioned young adult, and we've talked about that. So what would be the bottom end of the age range where you think this novel series is appropriate for, if someone wanted to potentially read this with their kids?
1: Well, uh, if you started out at 13, maybe that would be okay. There is a little bit of uh, romance, even physical romance, way down in the last book, but it's, I kind of feel like that my kids will have grown with me that are reading this. And it's kind of like, you know, the Harry Potter books, book seven is nothing like book one. And I think that's true of my books also. There's, there, there, there's a tougher, harder, more dangerous adventure. The characters suffer more, but, and they have more physical romance near the end. But, uh, I think a 13 or 14 year old could handle it all. And particularly by the time they get to 15, they're not going to be anything that they haven't heard about before.
0: Fair enough. All right. So we mentioned in the beginning um, that this was in the military sci-fi story bundle, which is storybundle.com backslash sci-fi really easy for you. Um, So that's actually a place where you can um, buy books. You sort of pay what you want. There's a base level where you pay anything and you get in this case, um, several novels, uh, and then anything over that, you unlock the bonus, and the bonus is unlocked at $15. Um, but once you get that, you uh, one of the things you can do about this, and so the first book, you get Legacy Marines by Jonathan P. Brazzi, Till Valhalla by Richard Fox, Trouble in the Wind by Chris Kennedy and James Young, which is a collection of alt-history short stories. And if you're listening to this, you probably already listened to that interview. And then, of course, the five um, – Book series, the box set for Shadow Warriors. But if you pay more than the the fifteen or more, you get a bunch of other books. So it's nineteen books total, and some of those are bundles. Uh, And one of the cool things about it is, you know, you can support your authors more directly. So the cut that's being taken out by like Amazon or Barnes and Noble isn't there. Um, You can once you unlock the bundle, you can pick how much goes to the authors and how much goes to story bundle. So the base setting is 70 to the authors, 30% to the story bundle. Um, and then you can also donate 10% of your purchase to the charity. And in this case, the charity is the Challenger Association, which is geared towards teaching young kids about science and getting you know kids that might not be in school systems where the science is as rigorous uh, exposed to science to get them sort of hooked at a young age with, with hands-on experiences instead of just somewhat boring rote classroom stuff. So it's a really cool thing that you can participate in. Um, the link for all of that will be in the show notes. I know I've got a bunch of story bundles I buy on my own. Um, and not just sci-fi, but they'll do like books on, you know, bundles on writing craft. There are sometimes urban fantasy or you name a genre, there's been a bundle for it. Um, and so it's I highly suggest you check it out. It runs from when you're listening to this until um, June 10th, Um, so don't be a stranger and catch it while you can. You won't regret it. It's uh, it's a lot of books for $15, and if you bought them all, you'd spend probably twice the the 15 base if you bought them all individually, so it's a hell of a steal. So as we bring this to a close, Nathan, can you tell listeners how they can find you? And as usual, it'll be in the show notes.
1: Okay, well, uh, of course, all my books are on Amazon. Uh, That's Amazon, authors.amazon.com, author Nathan B. Dodge. And uh, you can also find me, I, I, my website is uh, nathanbdodge.com. And you can uh, also, if you go there, you can, you can uh, see some samples of my writing and you can actually uh, uh, download the three stories and sign up for my newsletter, which comes out about once a month.
0: All right, and you can find us on our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters attack and attack blades anchor.fm backslash blasters attack and attack blades we are working on just a dedicated blasters and blades url that uh, we can interface with the spotify but uh, for now that's where we're at we have our twitter at sf underscore fantasy underscore show Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com. We promise we check it. We have a Facebook group, Facebook.com backslash blasters and blades podcast. You can support the show over at buymeacoffee.com backslash author JR Hanley. Be sure to put for the podcast in your notes, and I'll be sure to keep our uh, intrepid co hosts duly uh inebriated and lubricated so they can um wow you with their shenanigans um nick uh, garber and seska will greatly appreciate it you can also support us on a reoccurring basis on our website with the anchor.fm backslash blaster stack and tech blades um and so yeah that's how you can find us and don't feel obligated but you know podcasts don't run for free so anything you can do to help keep the lights on is greatly appreciated so we would like to thank you for spending some of your precious time for us. For Nick Garber and Doc Seska, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the Blasters and Blaze podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom. And we say that every week at the same time. Eventually, we'll slow down to one a week, and that will apply for now. We're just trying to build some of our back catalog and having a heck of a lot of fun. Um, so we should keep this pace up until probably August, and then in September, when everyone's back in school, we'll – have to cut down to one a week um but so yeah be sure to follow us on the on the sites and enjoy the fun